Hello and welcome to another episode of the Menza podcast. Menza is an app that's available for your iOS and Android devices where you can have 20-minute focused conversations about various topics like arts, travel, technology, personal finance, etc. In these podcasts, we stitch some of these conversations together for your convenience. This particular episode is about connecting behavioral science to our everyday life and it's by one of our creators Jafar Beg. I'll start off uh, with uh, setting some context and uh, my view of how I've been looking at coping and then let's open a, open the floor up to you know how others are thinking about it and what different strategies uh, we take uh, to cope with things. So uh, we cope every day with many things right and we're coping with the whole covid situation and have been doing so far for more than a year now so coping is that behavioral response to a stress situation uh these situations can be of many types right in our daily life and say inability to uh, come to an agreement with my teammate coping with the fear of uh, covid like symptom symptoms that i might be having uh coping uh, when a relationship breaks down uh coping with a failure many things right so the point i want to highlight here is that coping is not just for that big things in life we could be coping every day without realizing we are coping and the risk there is that we could be coping in a very unhealthy manner right so uh, i'm craving to smoke so i end up eating junk food to cope with that bad feeling i'm not able to get through that article i need to write uh, and i end up watching movies uh, i'm coping with that frustration of you know perceived inability to, by distracting myself uh, from you know uh, going through that re- process of you know finishing that article uh, in that process i could very well be rationalizing that strategy saying that you know i'm doing that to refresh my mind and i end up watching a whole lot of tv series and i get into trouble when the due date is near so i'm in a way coping with that feeling of uh fear right i want to avoid that feeling of fear of failure and i'm trying my best to avoid that feeling so but that doesn't mean that i'm getting any better so uh instead if i went out for a walk uh into the nature or do yoga that could be a healthy coping strategy right um in the context of health uh you know uh since i've worked in this health sector an example is that you know when i was working in kenyan slums uh this uh woman a uh is dealing with uh sexual violence and you know uh, harassment uh, her husband doesn't pay her and she has a lot of kids uh, but she has uh, nowhere to go right and then she's coping with that situation by thinking that you know uh, i'm this is my life i'm going to resign to this uh, there is nothing else that i can do so i'm going to continue uh, facing this uh, violence and because i just have to take care of my kids right and another bad uh, unhealthy uh, coping mechanism strategy could be you know that you uh, find another husband and then the other husband also turns out to be uh, violent because all that she is now looking for is uh, survival right of herself and her kids so these things take very complex turns in life right uh, and what happens is coping strategy becomes sort of a normal uh, behavioral response it gets normalized in us sometimes internalized and we stop seeing these coping strategies as uh, you know something that is uh, not supposed to be done which is unhealthy uh and that is something that is making us worse so something that i wanted to highlight is the first step for any person is i think to first realize that uh what we are coping with something when we are uh behaviorally responding to something either in thoughts or in action right and those coping strategies could be different uh they could be unhealthy or they could be healthy and then differentiating those is 
the first step towards realizing that okay we're doing something wrong and and then the next step is about you know what could you do so i think uh, in at least from uh, what i've been working on uh, one bit of way of solving this is been to sort of replacing that coping strategy with something right uh, or replacing that unhealthy mental models that you have uh, about doing things when you're in a bad situation uh, that we have internalized uh, and that is not easy right because uh, the first thing is for the individual to realize that i'm coping and i'm coping in an unhealthy way so what happens is many times the default response is avoidance right i'm just going to totally avoid the situation that's a unhealthy coping another is resignation right like i gave the example of uh, kenyan slums where i've the woman has just resigned to this situation and another risky thing is picking up unhealthy habits right of say smoking or drinking which leads to addiction so uh yeah I, I'm going to stop there, but I guess I've sort of set the context of, you know, what I, what my motivation was in terms of talking about coping uh, with respect to behavioral sciences and our behavioral responses every day. Yeah. Uh, anyone else here in the room has, you know, different thoughts or, you know, have examples to share or any, something that you've practiced in real life, in your personal life or in your practice? Yeah. Um, yeah. So in terms of coping, basically, um, so when we were talking about this topic, itself we were talking about how it's really relevant to right now right so um i thought back instantly to um basically i was doing my uh, masters degree in the uk and i had to cope with the pandemic all alone in another country not much support all of these things right so um not only was there stress associated with the pandemic there was also stress associated with completing my final masters dissertations i had two dissertations it was quite stressful and not being able to meet my guide supervisor things like that so in the start um i did notice really terrible coping patterns in myself but that's also because i'm a very reflective person so the one thing that i've realized is that unless i reflect about my own coping strategies i'm never going to notice a difference right so one of the problems that i see with people who cope with their issues in a negative way is that they never realize that they're doing it so how do you introduce that level of awareness about your own strategies to people that is really tricky right anushka any thought yeah so i i think that's like a great point right i think um i think firstly jafar you made a really good point right i think sometimes when we talk about the idea of coping it's always about coping through a very negative kind of situation and of course right those negative situations help us reflect a little bit but it could be everyday situations as well right for us to kind of deconstruct our emotions and deconstruct what our level of coping ability is in that particular situation and therefore reflect on is it adaptive or is it maladaptive and then say okay therefore what do i need to change right and sanika to your point right when you're kind of reflective of your behavior you can kind of like think back and deconstruct saying okay this was a hard situation this is how i dealt with it this is what was working well for me and this is what was not working well right but in most cases you can't tell everyone like oh introspect and everything will be okay right of course like when you look at therapy and stuff a lot of it is about deconstructing these maladaptive coping patterns that we have built and a lot of it kind of comes from like what we've learned over our priors right all our experiences what has really worked with us 
in a situation becomes like our way of coping with other situations as well right but one way is obviously again to be more reflective right and that's something that i think there is a movement towards reflecting on mental health reflecting on yourself and reflecting on your past and your priors and how that impacts your decision making in the moment but secondly i think it's also about when we're looking at behavior science challenges how you're designing the environment to ensure that people are able to cope better right so in certain cases how do you ensure that we're designing situations in which people by default have the ability to cope and one point is that every time we look at coping ability right um and just to backtrack a little bit whenever we're looking at situations and whenever we're trying to like deconstruct decision making we always say that emotions are a core way of understanding it and a core way for us to understand emotions is through two parts right appraisal as and one large part of appraisal uh, or appraisal theory is about coping so within coping we look at do i have a sense of control over the particular situation right secondly do i have power or agency over this particular situation do i have some power i can exert and can i adapt to this particular situation right so when i think about coping these are the three things in which i can kind of use to reflect on myself right so for example like i think about any situation i'm in i'm trying to deconstruct like do i feel a sense of control do i feel a sense of power do i have the ability to adapt and these three checks are again a way for us to introspect on our own behavior secondly these are the three checks for coping that i think we can use to make sure we're designing situations designing environments or even when you're listening to a friend talk about her their problems right these are the checks that i have in my head that run that maybe i can help the person uh in a particular situation i lost you a little in the middle but i did like your point about control because i think that's the major factor that leads to coping strategies in the first place because you're just trying to replace a situation that you can't have control in with a situation that you can control uh thank you so much anushka such detailed points uh, and deconstructing the coping mechanisms right uh to what i said uh, just to continue that uh, that control is uh, in the context of you know uh, public health or in generally how people cope with unhealthy uh, decisions uh, in terms of health uh, agency is a big problem right and that is connected so closely with control i mean how much do i feel i have that agency uh, to do things uh, to change around me one example that i saw is uh, you know uh, a uh, parallel to what was happening in Kenya what i was observing uh, you know uh, jacqueline name changed uh, was in the similar situation but uh, her response to that was you know i'm going to start a business a fish business right outside my uh, one half a room apartment and uh, make that money for survival right and then then she ended up making a business out of it and came out of it so it's also at some levels uh very deeply connect, connected with that uh, sense of you know uh, self also right that what is in my control what what can all can i do when that reflection also needs to go there i think uh, first step of design is also to sort of uh, induce that invoke that uh, resilience right and that is really complex and and i know in in this privileged class we have someone around us someone more aware uh, a friend might point out that hey you're coping unhealthily don't do this uh, think about it or we go to a therapist and that person is able to deconstruct the process that we are undertaking uh, 
but generally widely this whole these concepts of control agency and resilience haven't been internalized in um i was hoping uh, if you have any thoughts about that or you know any experiences in, ter- in terms of like listening to sanika anushkan chapar like uh, i just want to you know just decode how this coping uh, is you know working in, in general like what happens is that um you tend to cope and you follow certain strategies uh, which are negative and why you do that because you uh, know uh, when you are facing an adverse situation especially like uh, which is not really certain for you no and you have an uncertainty uh, in the place and when you have uncertainty and people generally resort to certain things called like social norms so we follow yeah. the footsteps of others and which kind of uh, makes you to get into a position where um you just follow the follow the crowd but uh, we do not really follow what sanika said in terms of like we don't uh, reflect on our own thoughts or other things and if we could have done that and i think we'll be able to control ourselves in in, in the way that with our honest course actually you know, put forth it you know, pu- 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 you know uh, putting her points in front of us right so so hence i would you not know, in the first case i would say like it's better to come out of the social norm and don't listen to the group uh, or you know of the majority and then think something on ourselves and i think that will help us better absolutely balchander that's a great point right that uh, in terms of uh, in uncertain situations uh, w- all that we do is we look to the other side and see what others around me are doing and then then we just end up imitating that and we would not even introspect key whether it's an unhealthy way of coping but everyone is doing it must be right so <laughs> yeah that's a really complex overlap yeah and also in terms of social media now because people keep giving advice uh, like you can see an instagram post which says um, do do what you need to do to make yourself feel better go eat that expensive meal go do this go do that but what if that is the negative coping strategy that you've always been employing and you're exposed to this prompt from somebody on social media that then tends to let you fall back into this terrible coping um, i think this also uh, gets back into a research uh, which was conducted in 2020 um there is kind of a, a you know a social media based uh, research you know since um, how the social media can influence people and what happens is that when we are uh, in a network in this network what happens is that we have uh, people who are in line with our thoughts and people who are not in line with our thoughts and what this experimenter basically did is like he can kind of manipulated uh, the person uh who are supposed to belong into this group and they call call him as zeros these zeros are person who are not in line with your thoughts now even if you're just adding one zelot in a kind of unsymmetric way and these people can have and a kind of influence on your thoughts so which is like when you're trying to cope up yourself and if you're you know if you're in with uh those zeros who are kind of you know um reinfuse this thought of negativity reinfuse this thought of like uh problems or and also you normally find people who are always trying to enjoy what kind of uh, problems you are uh, going through and within this network you known as social media basically you know fuel uh, thoughts um, again and again you know I, i think it's better not to post your problems in social media first um, as a first coping strategy you know and then it's better to go ahead and move on and resort to the kind of uh, you know reflection 
and think about how we can come out of that problem no i was i was just kind of like reflecting right and of course like um social media might be able to amplify certain maladaptive kind of coping techniques right and i think i'm just reflecting on the pandemic and it's again right where people are telling you like oh take that expensive meal right but i think what 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 is interesting with coping right sometimes you don't realize how displaced coping actually is right so because of the lack of control that we do have over the pandemic and the lack of control that potentially we have over our lives right now what where we get our control kind of comes from for example like cooking right because in that particular space it's a small act but in that small act what's happening is that you have control right so i'm just kind of like thinking about the fact that social media can really like propagate some like maladaptive coping techniques but sometimes what it can do also it can kind of reorient and kind of tell you that okay everyone's in a bad situation but i think for us it's really important like as behavior science people to kind of like deconstruct like coping in a way that we can create a situation where a person is able to cope right and therefore for example people were like make bread right and it it seems so trivial but in my head i'm like when you cook you have a lot of control because you have your ingredients you put your ingredients and it makes a cake right so it's interesting how for example like washing dishes or something very specific um gives you like a sense of progress it gives you a tangible end in a context of so much uncertainty right interesting point anushka i think uh, that's a great way right it's sort of in a way i'm just reframing it maybe designing that uh, pause which is giving that breathing space for that because that's it's a environment where you have some bit of control and that's nurturing some bit of resilience uh to happen and then you're able to come out of better and have uh, more mental space to look at positive uh, coping mechanisms sorry nivedita you're also here any thoughts you want to share yeah, um, i'm actually on one of my coping strategies so i'm taking a walk while listening to this really great conversation um but it's been very enlightening to be a part of this and you know while i was listening to anushka speak about like maladaptive um, coping mechanisms what i realized is at least while i was sort of introspecting within my own circle i was trying to see if there are any examples that i can think of that come to mind and something i realized was a lot of times people don't know that what they're doing is a coping mechanism it, it, it like the further step to identify whether it's a positive or negative coping mechanism is i would say step 2 but that, that the first step of identifying that you're following a certain behavior as a reaction to a circumstance or a situation i feel that that sort of realization um has not sort of it, it doesn't easily sort of come upon a lot of individuals and at least within the people that i have interacted with i think that would be step one. right i think at some point it gets tricky right like i think someone was mentioning uh, in the chat social media you look at it as as uh, uh, sort of a coping mechanism to distract yourself but you get into that whole vicious circle of uh, scrolling down and then you see so many people doing better and what they're representing online and then <laughs> you get into even more a limbo kind of thing where you continue to ruminate and then in the end it becomes a very bad coping mechanism and it's and that situation it's very hard for you to reflect back and say that okay shit i'm i'm in that loop you know where i'm making things worse uh, i should get out of it and that and that thought state in that point of action there are very very less cues to tell me to do otherwise and, and it does get uh, tricky i don't know what the re- solution to that is but yeah 
Right, I agree. It, it is very tricky to sort of identify that as yourself. Yeah, I think Anushka dropped off. But yeah, uh, this is nice, guys. Uh, any more thoughts or experiences? I think you know, in, in terms of uh, when it comes to coping, and we look for uh, immediate solution. So first thing that we see is like, okay, can you solve this you know, emotional uh, turmoil mm. immediately? Or you know, can mm. you just wait for it? No, we don't really wait for something. And mm-hmm. you know, this is all you know, kind of proven in the behavioral science world that, right, so we want the solution to be, you know, you know, you know on our plate very quickly right now. <laughs> and which is not really going to happen, right? So what we are supposed to do is like, instead of, uh, you know, telling our problems to someone on a social media or uh, even to some of, someone, uh, to someone of your friends, now just think about, sit back and relax and think uh, what, what has happened, right? I'm, I'm not a kind of a mental uh, counseling or expert in counseling. <laughs> no one I'm just telling you that no, this is really important no, for us to just yeah, think yeah, what we have done, know what can be done later yeah definitely uh, and balachandra yes of course none of us are here like uh, mental health practitioners right but in our own ways every day in our decisions if you are a little more conscious we'll be able to start identifying these uh, uh, patterns in our own behaviors where we are like uh, going into these limbos of ruminations versus where we are able to pick up some habits that is actually uh, helping us uh, get further and better uh, it definitely has helped me from my personal experience right it took me a long time that to understand that you know the scrolling that i'm doing on instagram youtube is a coping mechanism uh, watching tv series is a coping mechanism texting my friends is a coping mechanism some uh, it i think it's about also defining the boundaries at some level right to which level is this healthy for me and where is uh, the boundary where i've you know got into this vicious circle of just escaping the things that i'm you know have fear for um hi everyone i will be hosting today on behalf of jafar hi jafar um today's topic is uh, about uh, for connecting behavioral science to everyday life is shopping so today we're going to be talking about shopping and shopping is quite a vast topic so i'd like to just start off with a quick overview and then i'll open up the conversation to everybody else and all of your experiences so in terms of shopping in my opinion there are two perspectives right there's the consumer's perspective and the store's perspective and a lot of the time the consumers are trying to look for good deals and stores are trying to ensure that consumers are spending more time and more money while shopping there's also the effect of trends and exclusivity that change the way that people view the value of certain objects so in terms of consumers um i thought that it's best to break it down in terms of value and fairness of price when it comes to shopping um the value of a product differs for everybody right so if i am buying a pair of pants from zara i'll be willing to shell out 5000 rupees for them but if i am buying a pair of pants from a local store i may not want to pay as much so the value i assign to that same object which does the same thing is different based on where i buy it there's also uh, the idea of fairness in terms of price so um a fair price for something would be based on many factors that may stem from your own personal experience your nostalgia associated with certain items or 
maybe even the value that you perceive the items to be right so that's probably why people are willing to pay um hundreds of dollars for a shovel just because it has the logo of supreme on it and supreme really does this very well it manages to capture the power of exclusivity and the idea of hype culture to help them grow from like a small skate brand to a massive popular streetwear brand right now from the perspective of the stores they're trying to create unique experiences they're trying to create and attract as many customers as possible by being as aesthetic as appealing doing something different doing something unique um in certain cases these things become rather ritualistic so if i'm going shopping for a wedding dress i'm going to be pampered by the store employees and they're going to turn this entire experience into a massive ritual which then sort of leads to me wanting to spend my time there and wanting to spend more money there so they'll offer me champagne they'll be personalized there'll be personal attendance just for me all of these things turn the experience of shopping into something bigger than just buying an outfit right and um there's also the idea of exploiting the store layouts so this is the one thing that we hear of very often when it comes to behavioral science right where you place things uh, is going to attract attention at a different level and not just where you place things but where you place stores in general right so when you go through your airport security you're going to have to walk through duty free first before you get to your gate so that's going to put you into this holiday mindset and you're going to be willing to spend money in the duty free zone simply because you're walking through it right and then stores also tend to exploit things such as the ikea effect uh, where you just your participation in building a product partially makes you value the product a lot more right then there's the whole idea of two different shopping experiences there's the online experience and the offline experience and both seem to be learning from each other recently so the online experience offers the ease of payment it makes things really easy very simple so offline stores are uh, adopting self checkouts faster checkouts and during the offline experience people like to try the things that they are purchasing so online stores are now starting to try and buy policies so i'm just going to end this with two questions that i had when i was thinking about this topic the first being with people becoming more aware about the methods that are used by stores do you think that they are becoming less likely to be affected by these methods and are there any particular uses of behavioral science in relation to shopping that have either helped or hindered your experiences when it comes to shopping um when it comes to shopping uh, especially the the question that you posed are really good um because um people are becoming aware of these uh, sort of nudges that is used by the stores however as uh, the stores also play uh, a crucial role here because they also know that people are aware of these nudges i was working for uh, a retail supermarket in the uk and what they do is like they strategically change the layout every single week and this sort of makes the people to linger around the shop in finding the products of uh, and then as the time that they spend increase they tend to uh, visit more products and then the buying uh, increases 
And this is one strategy that is used by the stores. Um, realizing that people know um, yeah, that they are aware of those nudges. This is very true. And when I went to Sainsbury's, I was in the UK for a little bit. And Sainsbury's tends to change their layout all the time. And moreover, all of their essential goods, like eggs, bread, things that you're going to buy on a regular basis, they're at the end of the store. So you basically have to go through the whole store before you get there. And you're likely to fill up your basket while you get there simply because you see things that you think you need you may not need things you just want so yeah that's definitely something that i have noticed them doing as well uh, hey all yeah i actually have an experience um i recently went to a grocery store it's been so long since the start of pandemic it's been it's just like one people in my household doing the shopping so yeah it's been so long since i've been to the supermarket and uh, i wanted to buy a toothpaste i am a person who generally uses colgate like that's that's like you know from my childhood i remember using colgate and i've never changed the toothpaste uh, this this time i thought maybe i should try something different and i was just so confused with so many options that's available uh, it's just the packaging it's not even the way that they've arranged the products on the aisles or nothing much but just the packaging itself and i noticed that they primarily used um different colors like you know red and blue and white was the most predominant and it was very very colorful like compared to any other aisle on the supermarket just this uh, toothpaste aisle alone was very um, you know very attractive and was yeah there was just too many colors and too many offers i was just thinking maybe it also depends on the products like toothpaste for example it's usually um, you know people generally don't uh, prefer to use other toothpaste because that's the first thing that you use in the morning so if you're a colgate person you're usually a colgate person if you're a pepsidin person you're usually a pepsidin person so maybe i was uh, i just had a thought that maybe uh, brands are trying too hard to get the attention of customers so yeah let me know what you people think that's definitely really interesting because the beauty industry has seen a different kind of shift right so the beauty industry is seeing a shift towards things being more clinical and things being more like um ingredients are given more emphasis so then we see brands such as uh, the ordinary and minimalist which are coming out with packaging that looks even more clinical it's literally like a dropper bottle with like the most minimalistic packaging but that's because it's moving in that direction so how much do the trends that come with purchasing have to do with their packaging and how do people shift towards this kind of packaging simply because of say sustainability or things that are becoming more important to the consumer uh, what i've seen uh, in comes to packaging uh, there are quite a lot of research um, on packaging itself and people can easily um, cute by the package um, uh, you know say the toughness or even the surface of the package whether it is rough or um soggy or it is good in one of the research study found that when people evaluated yogurt and if the package is uh, smooth and if it is not rough and their perception was very different and uh, they felt it is um it's going to taste good but when it was rough and they felt it on the other way around so the same was applied uh, when it comes to um when they evaluated biscuits and the transparency as a it's a concept that is normally used nowadays um to promote uh, people to look at the product and also the minimalistic approach is also to help sustainability but the main aim of of the 
uh, retail shops or the stores or the producers is to give an experience of the product directly so that people can visualize it. And in general, when you go to the shop, you normally tend to look at the package. That's the first uh, kind of uh, decision, right? So you are whether you want to look at the package or not to look at the package. And this is where Shilpa's point comes in, where we talk we talk about saliency of the product package. Right? You make the product salient, so get the attention of the people. And then people only go and pick the product. Um, I think we also do that, right? So we pick the product and we evaluate uh, the product based on the weight sometimes, even, even if it is of similar weight. But you also see that and people will do shake the product and check the quality of the product uh, by you by taking on their hands and then evaluating it. And also when it comes to packaging, there are a lot of associations. Um, then this was actually studied by Priya Raghubir in terms of cross-model effects and how this uh, shape and size affects people's uh, evaluation. And longer the package means it will hold more volume. That is the assumption of people. Uh, and that's why like most of the uh, juice uh, bottles or milk are normally um, packed in a long container but if you want to buy an ice cream that is normally packed in a round container uh, and to give it has more volume and rather than it has more you know in terms of you know even if it is smaller and uh, when it is round and people perceive that it has more uh, more um, no, say, like more product in, in it Okay, there is a lot of things to do, to discuss. Like, if you just talk about packaging, we can talk uh, one entire twenty minutes about only about packaging. Yeah, you're right. Packaging is quite a vast area to explore. But bringing things back to shopping, um, recently there's been a lot of panic buying, right? Um, so, what do you think leads people to? Uh, panic buy in emergency situations, even though governments are coming out and saying that don't worry, all your resources will still be there. So, what it is, what is it about emergency situations that leads people to uh, want to purchase products so much? And also, um, if you know about doomsday packers and things like that, people who collect for um, emergency situations in their perceived future. Um, does anybody have any opinion? I believe it's it's kind of the uh, panic and the basic human um, emotion that what if I don't, the scarcity, right? That kind of like provokes people. And if you see empty aisles, then that makes the situation more worse. And, but the thing that I was more interested in is actually why was toilet rolls more, uh, you know, uh, susceptible to panic buy than let's say pasta or rice or you know, food products. Uh, that was something that I was really, really interested in, and I still don't understand. Uh, like this can be taken from the evolutionary perspective, right? So we are here to safeguard ourselves. No, we are here to protect ourselves. And one way to protect ourselves is cleanliness. Like you want to clean yourself, and when you take a shower or when you clean yourself and you feel really comfortable, you feel refreshed. And in India, people don't normally use toilet papers, but in, in the UK or in any other countries, like toilet paper is the only way to clean themselves you know, when they go for toilets or something else, right? And this this is a bit um, uh, taken 
<laughs> over when because they thought uh, they will buy more uh, toilet paper and they can save themselves but that's not the case even when they pile up um, they are going to, not going to use the same toilet paper for uh, n number of years and i presume uh, or like i think evolutionary evolutionary marketing or evolution based um, um, reasons are there for this panic buying right so i want to protect my client i want to protect myself and this protection comes in the first level when it comes to uh, panic buying yeah that's a great point and i had also thought about it from an evolutionary perspective itself the first time it happened because i was in the uk at that time and i understood why everybody was rushing to get toilet paper because if we were going to be locked in that was going to be a necessity because there's nothing else that we can use but on that subject rituparna actually has a really good comment down in the messages and she said that um because of the social distancing um stores now have the opportunity to place their near cashier displays o- over a larger area so there's more things to pick up finally right before you pay for your um purchases right so do you think that that may have a large effect on the way people purchase um the last few things that you might end up picking up do you think that in our country is it really a culture of picking up things at the last minute or um just like in general people are people resort uh, to impulse buying and uh, people when they do not have a clear plan and when they don't have a shopping list uh, predominantly they resort to impulse buying and what happens is that when you go near to the uh, checkout and when you're actually you know laying out your product on the checkout uh, um belt and you might think okay i think i may need uh, this uh, refresher i i may think you know i i may need this one right i think i missed this one and you always have this sort of a mental thought in your mind right so i'm going to going to come i'm coming to the shop and i'm going to stay here for a number of hours like probably even 20 30 minutes but when i go back to home and i and that's another decision to come back to the store if i miss something right and this makes you to think once or twice and that actually induces your uh, impulse buying you know? so that's like when chocolates and other things are placed uh, near to the near to the uh, cashier you no know, cash counter and people generally pick one or two because they are normally less price you no know? it is not really costly it is not having higher price tag and it is just like 10 rupees or 15 rupees and you feel like okay that's affordable let me just pick it and i'll just have my um, have a good day no something like that. yeah that is yeah and i think uh, yeah the longer you stand in that queue looking at these things i guess sometimes you're just trying to come up with reasons to get that thing that is right in front of you it's been for so long right but interestingly i've also noticed uh, in pound sterling shops in uk when i used to be there they also had these things right uh, there were some specific uh, items that were placed along the queue and there somehow i had this feeling that you know this is a deliberate effort from the sellers or the store owners to push these out maybe uh, there are some things that are not selling well and that's why they're here and then you totally mentally block yourself from continuously looking at them and not buy them but i guess situation to situation uh, it can def- you're right and in the uk i've seen it more because i think that things that are closer to their expiry dates find a place um right by the aisles 
So um, I think that that's also something to think about. And um, yeah, so quickly going into price and framing effects. Um, does anybody have any experiences with framing effects that they'd want to share? Uh, how you frame the prices and how people are more attracted towards certain ways that prices are framed? And pricing is an important uh, important psychology that everyone should understand as a as a marketer. And if you look at any meta analysis, especially when it comes to um, uh, odd pricing, right? So it's like ninety nine cents or nine nine point nine nine point nine nine rupees that is introduced by Bata, or and they do actually do well in terms of that increases uh, the sales by at least around. I'm not really sure about the numbers, but it's at least increases the sale. Or sale of the product by at least two percent or three percent, uh, but there is there is a beautiful paper that was actually um, uh, studied in the New New Zealand market, and they found um, how this uh, odd pricing or the thing, just having the price ending at like not ninety nine or twenty nine increases. But you know to be uh, careful here. You no, know, there is also a little surprise, right? So if you just um, have the price like 27 or 28 that also quite close to this kind of odd pricing but they don't really fare well only when you are at the 29 and they do really well when you are near to the 25 or when you go to the 20s they do really well zero five and nine endings do well but anything that in that is in between they don't really do well so we need to be careful with that kind of pricing yeah and i think one more thing that i continuously have always used to make decisions while buying is that you know uh because i'm not sure what i want to buy and uh in which price range and uh the shopkeepers very smartly arrange them in uh descending order of price right and all that you need to do is look in between and go for the in-between price right high because you avoid the risk of buying something cheap and you avoid the risk of buying something too expensive so they very strategically place the mid-priced uh things in the middle of the vertical aisle right as the thing uh, where you keep products and then your eyes automatically go there because below that is risk and above that is uh, risk that you don't want to take every time maybe once in a while you look at what is more expensive but usually if you don't want to take time to make decisions you just go for the middle one and i think that still works for a lot of people the middle bias is definitely a strong one and it's very difficult to fight in terms of why would you, right? Because it is, it seems like the best possible solution in that moment. If I'm faced with three choices, why would I not pick the middle one and cut my losses wherever possible? But uh, Krishleen asked um, why, uh, possibly why people don't really... Um, if I'm understanding this right, are there any different strategies in terms of expensive brands like Gucci or Louis Vuitton offering sales? Um, does it do they then uh, end up seeming too cheap, too good to be true, something like? That? Like in general, what they uh, the luxury brands they aim to avoid these kind of discounts, right? And they do also go for steep discounts sometimes. But what they do is like they pair up with a new version of the product and then say this is the new version and this is going to be sold at like. 1000 um, pounds or 1000 euros and the old version of the product will go under st steep discount and you can also see the same sort of approach used by apple whenever they want to reduce the price of the product and they keep it stable for n number of months 
And when they introduce a new version of the product, then they reduce it. And why they do it? Because if they are going to say that I'm just playing with the price and they lose their luxury uh, icon or like the brand. And hence, uh, they, they thoughtfully play, play with this uh, pricing strategy. Yeah, it brings back the exclusivity and why people are attracted to. There's also one more uh, point from Kishleen in terms of uh, any thoughts on confusing and disorienting visuals in the malls. And um, and I, I think I explained that earlier. And since uh, people do change the layout, and when they change the layout, uh, people get confused in terms of, okay, no, I came this came to the store last week, but I saw the product here, but it is not here. So now you are in the search mode. When you are in search mode, you also look at different other products, and that sort of uh, increases your impulse buying. And also, uh, eye level is not buy level, according to a recent paper. And one feet below the eye level is buy level. And that's uh, that's a recent update. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mensa podcast. We will see you guys in the next episode. And definitely don't forget to check out the Mensa app, which is available for iOS and Android devices, where you can have 20 minute focus conversations about various topics and be part of a healthy, ever growing community of creators, listeners and learners.